Cappuccino with Constable Brian. Real people, real stories. Cappuccino with the very concerned Tess Casey, CEO of <laughs> Neighbourhood Support New Zealand since November 2017. She's been the chief executive of an organisation called Inclusive New Zealand. She has also been the lead facilitator for um, organisational development service, One Fish Solutions. She's a member of the Disability Employment Forum um, and Education for All Network. She's worked in communications and community development for over 20 years now. And she's even made submissions to the Health Select Community as well. So, welcome, Tess. Thank you. Right. So, we normally start off, because Tess hasn't heard the podcast before, with what we call the Pop Quiz Hot Shot. So, we ask you six random questions uh, that just get us all to know one another a little bit better. So, what's the one song that always makes you get up and dance? Oh, that's a telling question, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I have to think... Probably, well, I'm a bit of a punk rock little 80s chick in my youth, so um, some of those old school kind of The Fall um, and The The and those sorts of bands, which nobody's ever heard of, I can almost guarantee it. But um, otherwise, um, always I have a friend and I, the minute anything ABBA comes on, we're always up and dancing. Bless, from The The to ABBA, as an old Sex Pistol fan, my heart Um, if you didn't have to sleep, what would you do with the extra time? Read. Beautiful. Okay. Uh, you've got to delete all but three apps on your phones. Which apps do you keep? Oh, which apps do I keep? Instagram. Um, and I keep my Air New Zealand app because that works really well and I'm always running late, running through airports, so having checked in early is a really great advantage. Um... And I probably have to keep Facebook as much as I don't want to because it's got that um, the uh, Messenger app on it and that's how I keep in contact with my sister and my son overseas. Beautiful. If you were going to write a book, what would the title of Tess Casey's book be called? Oh, lordy. Um, I don't know. Probably old lordy. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the most famous person you've ever met? Most famous person I've ever met? Um, oh, when I was a kid, I actually met the previous Pope. He wasn't the Pope then, but um, right. he was a cardinal, and um, and I was at um, a little Catholic school kid, and he came to um, our church. Right, so, so I'm definitely going to put that down as an awesome experience. Yeah? <laughs> I didn't know he was anything no. important at the time. But hey, look, how many times does that happen? Mm. Uh, so you've got to wear one word... On your T-shirt for an entire year that sums you up. What is it? Ah, uh, think. Beautiful. Right. Okay. Now the serious questions. So, CEO of Neighbourhood Support. Uh, you've been there since 2017. What's new? What's new in Neighbourhood Support? support? Yep. Um, apart from me, and, <laughs> <laughs> um, we've we're doing quite a kind of just trying to get all the basics right I think first so um, just getting our plans and strategies in place so that we all kind of know what we're doing and where we're going um, we've got a 
new team member who's just come on board, Olivia. So she's our um, communications and marketing um, advisor. So she's really, um, and one of the reasons we've done that is because we've realized that actually that's the key to making everything tick is to um, making sure we get the stories out there, both to our members and to the general public about what neighborhood support's all about. Um, and we've really been thinking too about how we best support our members, so the people out there that are running neighbourhood support organisations. So one of the things that's new that we've just done is to set up a an online toolkit that our members can access, which hopefully has all the information that they need to run their um, neighbourhood support organisations. Now, as an old community cop, I've seen neighbourhood support in action, so I know that it works. And I also know that we're going through a transition phase of... Um, going from the garage with the drawing pins into it where the burglaries happen and the local newspaper to people actually becoming almost like a pseudo community on Facebook. You'll very often find those types of groups and everything else. Is Olivia's appointment part of trying to keep up with that process? Yeah, so one of the things um, that she's only been on deck for um, not even a month, I don't think, maybe just a month. Yeah. so is that we really want to be able to, we're going to be working with police to develop a, um, a communications plan as well so that um, we're, we're figuring out, we know what they're doing, they know what, um, the, what we are doing and that we're able to work together more effectively and keep up with some of those new developments and ways of doing things. Which as a community cop, one of the biggest problems I had was people trying to pigeonhole a community, and I know that you guys in neighbourhood support don't do that when you started off as, as the CEO. And I quote, everybody is slightly different organised, uh, but maintaining, we want to maintain the consistency and equity in our supports. How hard has it been? Because I know that there are still some people that will turn up to neighbourhood support meetings with pamphlets and they're handing out pamphlets left, right and centre. And I've I even said to a couple of the coordinators, you know, you can do this all by email and they're like, but I like the personal touch. So yep. has it been really hard to try and get a grasp on or not? I'm st- still learning, to be yep. perfectly honest, and we've been um, making a real effort to get out and about and learn how our different... Um, areas do things differently and I think one of the things I've learned is that um, you're dealing with everybody different from young people who are used to doing everything online and are perfectly comfortable with emails Mm. and that's the way they probably want to get things, emails and texts, through to older people who maybe don't have laptops or don't know how to run laptops who prefer the personal touch and probably everywhere in between and the other thing that um, we've learned is that in sort of emergencies, earthquakes or, you know, power cuts, whatever it might be, um, if the internet goes down or your cell phone coverage goes down, you need hard copy backup. So my kind of feeling at the moment is that we need both and we need to be thinking really carefully about how we use both and where we use them. And from all those, for all those millennials listening, uh, at the turn of uh, the century, when it was New Year's Eve, I'm telling you now, the text messages went down because I was on duty and we couldn't get anything to happen. So yeah. there, you are correct. Um, what's your drive and your passion for inclusiveness for disability that you possess? It's amazing. And can I just say, as the father of a disabled wee boy, it's magical as well. I, it, it is something that I'm really passionate about. Um, spent 16 years working in the um, the disability sector and just I think the thing that really um, inspired me about that is that you know 
the struggle that people have just to be accepted for just a little difference, but in actual fact, what everybody wants is exactly the same thing. Mm. People want to be connected. They want to be included in things. They want to um, be a contributing part of their community. And it doesn't matter whether you have a visual impairment like I do or whether you have Down syndrome or whether you are autistic or um, you're a tetraplegic, you want to be able to participate. And uh, and and it's I think we the other thing I realized when I was working there is that little things can make a really big difference in order to make that happen mm-hmm. so um, yeah it's something that I've, I don't think I will um, that I really want you know it's part of the reason I wanted to work for neighbourhood support too because I could see that um, that community connection and being building inclusive communities there's a real opportunity for us to, to really help in that regard yeah definitely because um, being um, autism is sort of the one that I'm interested I'm interested in you all don't get me wrong folks mm-hmm. um but you know, um, when I, I've got a diploma in special ed, so when I look at like the deaf community and everything else, there's some huge um, inroads that neighbourhood support and the police could make there. And we've started yeah. to do it, but it's uh, certainly, as you would know better than anybody, we could be doing a lot better. Do you ever think that we'll ever see a day where you get equity for people with disabilities? I hope so. Um, I think. It's starting to. Ha- you can see already some progress starting to happen, and I think part of that is because you know young people going through school now, um, since mainstreaming's been happened, they're used to having kids with disabilities in their classrooms and around them, and are learning, you know, how to include people and how to adapt um, to make sure that people can be, you know, participate. They've got friends with disabilities, so they take it for granted in a way that I think people of our generation probably didn't because we didn't have the benefit of that experience when we were growing up. So I'm really hopeful that as those young people grow up that we do become um, a much more inclusive and accepting society, and it does just become natural to us. Amen to that. Um, Now... Changing the subject a little bit, you said that well-being is now part of the framework for policy making, um, and you've actually written a great article on it. Go and Google search test case and then go Comms Voice Network. I'm going to ask you now, though, and she said, "Don't ask me any like really curly questions because I'm coming <laughs> out of a conference, but I'm going to." What does well-being look like to you with regard to government organisations? and policy because I know that you've made some submissions on this sort of related area so what does it look like to Tess Casey if I said to you here's all the money in the world that you want Tess go out and get it what does it it look like? I think well-being it comes back I think a lot to that um, inclusion and what it takes for people to participate in the ways that they want to in their communities so if you if everybody had good well-being they would be safe they would be connected to their communities. They would have the basic needs met in terms of housing and transport and being able to get around. Um, they'd have friends, they'd have food. You know, it's those basic things that we need um, in life to to make us happy, contributing people. Um, and I think it's great that we're now thinking about well-being as an economic benefit, not just a nice-to-have social warm fuzzy that, you know, people and policy makers are now recognising that, you know, if our communities um, are communities that promote and foster well-being, then a lot of 
community issues and social issues actually get solved. And the big argument, I guess, against well-being, and you've also put this in your article in the, the old community constant, we had a wee wry grin as well, because I know, I've seen it, so I, I know the benefits of it, but the big argument is always, how can you measure yeah. well-being? Um, you got any theories on that? I think we overcomplicate measuring things. I think asking people, can you participate? Yes or no. Can you, are you happy (laughs) in your life? Um, They're reasonably good measures, you know, and people, we're always trying to find the number or the, you know, um, and sometimes we don't need to. I mean, not to say that numbers aren't important. Numbers are critically important. You need both kind of sets of data. But um, sometimes just the simple questions are the ones that give you the most honest answer. Yeah, so we don't get paralysis by analysis, which quite nicely leads us on to our next questions. So um, I know that you did some primary school work uh, for a primary school recently with their charter. Yep. And I'm going to quote you again, and I hear this, I get this day after day because I'm a school community officer. There is nothing like talking to kids to keep it real. They'll give it to you right between the eyes, whether you're the commissioner of the police who once I got asked by a young child if I'd brought my granddad to work and it was the commissioner of police, not the current one, but (laughs) sorry, uh, Commissioner Peter Marshall. Um, And my mate, Dr. Fiona Penwa, in 2010, she did a thesis on what stressed out Kiwi kids. So it was really interesting because in the 70s and 80s, it was family issues, friends, and peer pressure. In the 90s, it was bullying, it was being hurt, it was stranger danger and disaster. She did her research and added to that terrorism, war, global warming, and the future. You've said that kids always talk about safety, belonging, and kindness. So how do you think we can do better as one, uh, the police and neighbourhood support, and then two, as a country, and I love that little bit where all the kids have said that tree huts were really cool, so yep. we're just going to throw tree huts in there to start <laughs> off with, all right? So what do you think we can do better, though? I think it was really interesting when we did that work and we talked to the kids about safety and what safety meant to them, and and they said things like being given a second chance made them feel safe and having somebody to talk to that they trusted made them feel safe which kind of took me by surprise because if I had been if that asked me as an adult to describe what kids thought about safety they're not the things I would have said and so and especially the thing around second chances I think um, just I think there's a real lesson in that mm-hmm. um, and I think that's something that we all you know as a society we need to take on because we've got very individualistic and probably quite um focused on um well you know if you do that wrong well then you know you you got a big cross by your name yep. and in actual fact it might be swinging that round a little bit and saying okay well what went wrong there and how can we what's the second chance um so i think you know from not just from a law and order point of view but a whole lot of um other points of view that that way of thinking about safety i think there's really some questions we need to ask ourselves about that yeah um, now, funding is always a major, major issue for neighbourhood support. Yep. So if you're listening and you want to fund neighbourhood support, how would we best go about it? Just email you directly or contact the neighbourhood support yep. Facebook page? Yep, yep, Facebook page, website. So um, just, yeah, all our contact details are on there. Yes, and that got... can be anything from a little local neighbourhood support group all the way up to a big national 
organisation. Yep. yep. So, um, yeah, so as it, we've got, obviously, we're the national organisation, then we have our member organisations, over 62 of them now around the country, um, who are employ coordinators to do the day-to-day work of, you know, making sure neighbourhood support is out there and operating well. And then we've got the street groups that kind of sit down um, beneath that. So, um but particularly in the area, it was just an ongoing battle for those 62 member organisations to keep the funding levels up, to keep employing their coordinators and to have the resources that they need to get out there and, and do their work in the community. And there's also this misconception of if you start a neighbourhood support group up, you've got to have all the neighbourhood around, have a barbecue, mm. have like a big three-course meal. It's like my kitchen rules pretty much, come <laughs> to your neighbourhood. And I don't think that that's, I mean, I know that that's not quite true because there's lots of neighbourhood support groups. I know that basically they have one another's phone numbers or they set up a secret group on um, Facebook mm. and that's them, they're done. What do you think one of the biggest hurdles for people getting into neighbourhood supporters? I think it is that perception of what am I going to have to do? You know, am I going to, you know, am I going to have to, um, host a, a party every week? Am I going to have to have, you know, everybody around for dinner? Am I going to have to run around the neighborhood signing people up? Um, and so I think one of the things that we're thinking about is, is that flexibility again? You know, if you, you know, what does it look like for you in your neighborhood? What is the, the model or the way of operating that's going to be most effective for you? And, um, I think as long as that connection's happening and you do know your neighbours, the rest of it doesn't necessarily matter so much. Mm. You know, you can you can organise it the way that you need to organise it. The, uh, the key point is the connection. Yeah, and I think that there's lots of people out there who are probably listening who have already got what I call an informal neighbourhood support group. Yep. They just haven't realised that if they contact you, you can give them some resources, you can give them some advice and go from there. So yep. please, 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 if you, even if you just know sort of the local four or five neighbours around you, just make sure that you um, get hold of the people at Neighbourhood Support and say, hey, I think it's a Neighbourhood Support group and they'll talk you through it. That's pretty yep, easy. Absolutely. We're yeah. there to help and we're there to make it easier yeah. for people. Um, yeah. Which brings us on to, it's particularly, we've had a fairly rough winter this year in New Zealand um, and talking to some of the guys in your guys and girls in your office, that thing of neighbours checking up on one another. So like I said to people, you don't need to know their ins and outs. I don't need to know what Tess is doing on a hourly basis, mm. but I do probably need to know that Tess is okay and she's, I've actually seen her walk out the house this morning and wave hello. So, yeah, some neighbourhood support groups can be as simple as that, I guess. Yeah, that's all it comes down to is, you know, just just knowing enough to be able to say hello. And I think, you know, it's one of the pieces of research when I first got this job that has stuck with me is the research out there that says if you know someone, you're more likely to offer them help, you're more likely to accept help from them um, and you're more likely to um, to be prepared to step in in an emergency so I think you know there's a whole lot of benefits to that connection and as you say it doesn't need to have to be you know living in someone's pockets. No, no. Um, now speaking of connections how does the connection with neighbourhood support and the New Zealand Police work because I know for instance that the National Office of Neighbourhood Support is based in the police headquarters Yep. so how does it all work? Um, how do you guys work together? So um, we have an MOU with um, New Zealand Police and part of that MOU is that um, they, where they can, they um, offer the neighbourhood support coordinator's office space within a police station. So that really helps us in terms of um, working really closely together in a community so that um, the neighbourhood support coordinators are, are aware of um, any 
issues that might be arising in the community that they might be then be able to go to particular street groups or a particular neighbourhood and say, you know, you guys have had some bad experiences with, you know, bike theft or something like that mm-hmm. and be able to kind of offer them some safety tips and some support or where there's been, um, you know, other issues that have happened to come in and step in and help with some of those prevention measures. Um, so it's really a, it really enables that um, intelligence sharing um, between us to have an advice versa. We can feed back. Gosh, you know, you know, the, you might want to go and check out um, this neighbour over here. We've you know had some kind of you know reports that you know things might not be going so great in that street or there's been cars speeding up and down at all it could be anything it doesn't matter but it, it's really the intelligence sharing yeah. um, I think that um, is really important and as any police officer can tell you um, and full respect to my colleagues in the CIB that I lots of you there and I love you to pieces but um, the number of serious crimes that we solve because of nosy neighbours or neighbours who are actually concerned they've got a vested interest or they're a, what we term in the business a capable guardian is immeasurable I think so yeah it's definitely worth it um, okay so question for you I know that you guys are on Instagram and Facebook as well uh, it's always probably the last question I ask in the podcast um, it's a bit macabre but it's also an, an interesting um, sound out as well I think so uh, it's the day of Tess Casey's eulogy <laughs> and uh, people are talking about it what would you hope that they would say about Tess Casey ooh um, I'd hope they said that I had a sense of humour and that I was um, concerned about people and um, and that I'd contributed to my community yeah <laughs> Um, and then finally, what does your day look like? What does the average day look like for the CEO of Neighbourhood Support? Because I can imagine there'll be a couple of community meetings thrown in, you're turning up at Police National Headquarters. So what's your average day look like for you? Um, I'm waiting to have an average day. Yeah, um, so yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of the things I love about the role is that, you know, it's it's varied. It's really varied. So turn up at Police National Headquarters or not. Sometimes I don't even get in there. Um, so it's sometimes some days sitting at my desk for an hour is, um, uh, you know, it's hard fought to mm-hmm. get that time. But, um, yeah, we spend a lot of time at the moment too just talking things over as a team going, what if we did it that way or would that work or how does this happen? So, um, and yeah, a lot of time talking with people and meeting people and um, just trying to, still trying to get my head around <laughs> how everything works. Beautiful. Yeah. And that is uh, episode seven of the Cappuccino. See, there weren't really that many curly questions, but it was pretty much straight above board. Huge thank you to Tess because she's actually come out of a conference in the lunch hour and she's going back in about the next five minutes. So thank you very much, Tess, for being our seventh guest. Um, Like we've said, if you do want to follow Neighbourhood Support on Instagram or Facebook, please make sure you do. There's plenty of local groups as well as Neighbourhood Support New Zealand. Big shout out to Kelsey and my very soon new-to-be buddy, Olivia, and maybe even Louise as well. Thank you very much for your time today, Tess, and uh, hopefully we'll get lots more neighbourhood support groups because they do an amazing thing in our community. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. Cappuccino with Constable Brian. Real people, real stories. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss his next podcast.